Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. I deeply appreciate the music ministry that our church has. Um, let me try an analogy. This is something that occurred to me this morning, and I'm going to confess to you I haven't thought it through, so you're sort of like seeing a sermon illustration being born, and we're hoping <laughs> that it works. Uh, but I, I was thinking about that this morning, that uh, when I play music, I play notes. They're on the page. They're at a certain spot with a certain stem and maybe a flag and maybe a dot or two, and uh, I, I play notes. Other people play music. And the difference is we're looking at the same piece of paper and we're seeing the same thing, but some people look at that and, and God has given me the grace to forgive them for it, but they just see it and play it. I have to look at it and figure it out mathematically. You, you think I'm joking. I, I took piano lessons in high school, and my piano teacher was trying to teach me how to play. Uh, it's called three against four. Excuse me if I'm boring you, but uh, it's called three against four, and what you do is you play three notes with the left hand while you play four notes with the right hand. Try it sometime. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Took forever for me to get that. But when he said, I want you to play this, I, I went home and I actually drew a chart. I drew a chart. I said, the measure is this long, and there are three things in this long, and then there's four things in this long, and I measured where they were, and it dawned on me, we're dealing with fractions here, and so I was, I was really excited, you know, and we got it going, and that's how I do music. I do it by looking at notes and measuring and thinking, and, and it's very mechanical. Other people play music. They could explain it to you, but they don't have to think about it because it's inside them. I got to thinking about it. I play the piano by law. They play music by grace. And the difference is, for me, the music's on the outside, and I'm desperately trying to get in alignment with us. That's called law. And for other people, the music is on the inside, and they're just trying to express what is there and what ought to be there, and that's called grace. And there's a big difference between law and grace. Big difference in the joy and in the product and, and in how it sounds and whether it's music or not. So I'm very thankful for people who can play music by grace and who put up with the rest of us who play music by law. Um, and, and I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I, I get to thinking about that because so much of, of, of the Christian life has to do with this law-grace thing, that there are notes on the page and we know we're supposed to be playing them, but sometimes we feel like it, that we're living our law, lives out and there's so much law involved and we're missing so many notes and we're making so many mistakes and we don't have uh, enough confidence just, just to, 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 to go and, and play 
music from within. It's, it's just sort of an external thing for us. And I, I know that that's the way my life is so much as, as a follower of Christ, that a lot of what I'm, I'm doing is, is looking at it and thinking about it and figuring it out and what should I do? And it's so much law and it's so much failure. And I just visualize that when I get to heaven and they're passing out rewards, I'll let you do the theology of rewards, rewards for the believer. There's, you know, people discuss that, but, you know, but, but just think about it. You know, you get to heaven and you're going to be rewarded for all the good that you've done and, and, you know, and your life will be put on display and all those other things. First, I don't want my life on display. But, but secondly, you know, when everybody else is getting a reward, first place trophy, second place trophy, most improved trophy, best looking trophy, I'm going to settle for a participation trophy <laughs> because that's about all I'm going to get. But you know, when it comes to heaven, a participation trophy is enough. Amen. And that's what grace is all about. Grace is about our lives participating in Christ and we miss some things and we make some mistakes and we stumble and sometimes we enter seasons of, of sin and rebellion, but in the end of it all, God says, but you're participating in my son, Jesus Christ, and that's reward enough in heaven. That's something what Paul's talking about here as, um, as we, we saw a moment ago. Uh, his invisible friend said, why not sin that, that uh, grace may abound, those, those kinds of things. And Paul is essentially saying, well, no, that's totally incompatible with grace. When, when God's grace comes into your life, sin is incompatible with it. Let me give you a spoiler alert, okay? This is a spoiler alert. When we get to chapter 7, Paul's going to say, but I still mess up and I still can't get it right. And I can't do what I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then Paul gives the answer, and you're going to have to come all summer long to find out what it is. But when he gets to chapter 7, he's going to deal with, you know, the, the reality of it. it. It's sort of like in these chapters, Paul isn't showing you my car. See, if you look at my car, which is a great car, it's a fine product, and it still runs. But uh, the, the point is, it's got dents in it, and it's got paint off of it, and it's got some mileage, and it leaks a little bit of mystery fluid. I, I still don't know what, what it is. But, you know, that, that's the reality of my car. What Paul is doing is he's showing you the showroom model. The way the car looks in the showroom, this, this is what it's supposed to look like. Now, go and drive. And yeah, things are going to fall apart and things are going to get loose and, you know, there's going to be problems along the way. It's still going to be a car and it's still going to get you there. But let me show you what it's supposed to be to start with. Then in chapter 7, he shows you my car. He says, Here, here's what's going on. You, you look at, at, at uh, verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the first thing you notice about that is that's the question he asked back in chapter 1 uh, or verse 1 of chapter 6. He said, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? But there's actually some significant differences in the, um, in, in the, in the Greek text. Um, if, if you look at uh, verse 1, it's a present tense. And, and uh, uh, the best way to think about the Greek grammar of it is, shall we continue and keep on continuing and make it a constancy in our lifestyle that we would sin and therefore God's grace would just be going on all the time? 
Shall we make sin normal? And Paul says, no, it can't be normal because when you were saved and you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, you died to sin. You were raised with Christ, you were made alive unto Christ. He says, it's just incompatible. So the general answer is, no, you can't. It just doesn't make any sense with what happened when you were saved in the first place. Now, here in verse 15, the tense is not present tense. It's actually what's called an aorist tense. You don't need to... Uh, worry about the, the, the name, but basically what it is is, uh, it, is saying, how about at one point in time, just as a snapshot, just, just looking at it as a single thing, is it okay to sin every now and then? Is it okay to dabble in sin? Would it be okay if on special occasions we sin? You ever hear people say that? Have you ever said it? You know, as... as <laughs> As an old-style Baptist, I'm a teetotaling, you know, no-drinking-at-all Baptist. And you are too. I didn't get enough amens on that, but it's okay. I can't tell you the number of people say, well, pastor, I don't drink. I just drink on special occasions. What does that mean? Special occasion is when I want to get inebriated enough so I don't remember the special occasion. I, you know, it's just sort of a, an odd thing to say. You know. Special occasions make something that's wrong right? I don't think so. But the, the question in verse 15 is, is this. Is it okay to sin every now and then when there are special circumstances? Like the person I'm mad at is like a really bad person. Is it okay to hate them? Or I'm really, really tired and I don't want to deal with it so I can just go ahead and tell a lie and get out from under this. Now, is it okay that we sin sort of at the strategic level or the the tactical level, I should say? Is it okay to sin at the tactical level every now and then? So that's the difference in the questions. One is, is it broadly okay to sin? And the other one is, can we sin just every now and then, just a little bit? And what Paul is going to say is, absolutely not. We're just not going to do it. Yeah, uh, that, uh, you know, because when you let a little bit of sin in, when you say a little bit of sin is normal, you are tying yourselves back to sin and to death. Let's read how he does it. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Wait a minute. Did you catch that last phrase? Not under law, under grace. Normally we think about we're saved by grace. You know, grace is the instrumentality that saves us. But here Paul uses a different preposition. He says we are under grace. It's the only time in the New Testament this is used in this passage of Scripture here, uh, to be under grace. Normally we think by grace, you say, but here we are under grace. What could that mean? Well, he says you've got two choices here. You were under the law. We know what that means. When you're under the law... It means that the rules and the regulations are what guides your life. It's what tells you what to do. It controls you. It's what uh, helps you decide whether something is worthwhile, whether you're a good person, a bad person, whether life is going well or badly, Uh, those kinds of things. To be under the law is to be shackled to the power of rules and regulations. It means everything you do, you look to the law and to this checklist to find out if you're doing the right thing. So that's what it is to be under law. Paul says we're not under the law. We're not trying to keep a list of rules in order to be justified with God. We are under grace. And what that means is we are looking to grace, the grace of God to define us, the grace of God to shape us, the grace of God to, to give us the, uh, the mechanisms whereby we decide is something good or bad, is it, is it worthwhile or not. 
See, we are under grace means that our whole lives are consumed by the grace of God. Now, the grace of God comes to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, the grace was made abundant and free for us. And so, to be under grace is to be under the shadow of the cross. It is to realize that at every step along the way, at every part of life, it is the sacrifice of Jesus for us that makes life possible at all. It is the sacrifice of Jesus for us that has reshaped and remolded us and is conforming us into his image, as we'll see when we get to chapter 8. So, um, the, the cross is always over us. We are under the shadow of the cross because we are under the grace that was made manifest at the cross. The grace of God was made available to us through the holiness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. You see, when he died on the cross, he died as one who was fully man. Jesus is fully God, worthy of all worship and praise, and he is fully man who gives us a real picture of what it means to be a human being. Ever hear somebody say, well, you know, to sin is human. Sure, I sin, I'm human. There's nothing human about sin. Sin destroys humanity. When we rebel against God, we are turning away for what we ought to be as human beings. So it's not, oh, to sin is human, to sin is inhuman. It is contrary to human. It is against human. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, a holy life. That's what it means to be a human being. And so when we come to Christ and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, and now we're going to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, now his holiness and his perfection is the definition of what it means to live. Because the holiness of Christ brings the grace of God to us. You see, it's all about Jesus. That's hard to believe, but it's all about Jesus. The grace of God is about Jesus Christ. It's not about us. No. Sometimes we think, well, the, 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 the grace of God is about me because the grace of God is there if I need it, like if, but if I need it, then I'll go get some grace of God and maybe I'll carry a little bit around in a little pouch and, and bring it out like, like hand wipes or something, you know, just on an as-needed basis. And, you know, the grace of God is there for me to use when I need it and when I think I, I want it. No, the grace of God is about Jesus. And if you know the grace of God, you are consumed by who Jesus is. That's why in our preaching, what, what I pray more than anything else is that you would fall in love with Jesus moment by moment and day by day, that you'd see how wonderfully beautiful he is and how marvelous he is, and you would be so attracted to him, you would love him so deeply that your whole being would be drawn to Jesus Christ because it's all about him. And so to be under grace is to be consumed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, under the cross, under the holiness and the perfection of Christ, under who he is. By the way, that's why when Jesus went to people and he wanted them to, to, to know the grace of God, he didn't go to them and say, look, I have some 10 helpful hints on how to live a better life. And you can have them for a one-time gift of 1995. He didn't go to people and say, look, I, I want you to be happy and fulfilled and set free from your materialism, so what I have is a three-CD set. And you, can, and you can have this and take it with you, and, I, and if you buy it today, you can have a podcast link. Jesus didn't go to people and say, I'm live streaming the truth of life today. 
If you want to go on, you can log on and find out what it is. When Jesus went to people and he cared about them and wanted their lives to change, what did he say? He said, follow me. That's what he said, follow me. The Christian life is about Jesus. It's about following him, being like him, emulating him, putting him on display in our lives. So to be under grace is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who has denied the self, who has taken up a cross daily and is now following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So Paul says you're not under the law. You're not under some legalistic religious system. You are under grace, and that grace is brought to us in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're raised to walk in newness of life, raised to walk to live in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. We are under grace. We are under the grace of God. That, that's what it means to be under the grace. We're looking to God's grace in Jesus Christ for everything, constantly. Okay. We're through the first verse. <laughs> Do you not know? Now, the second thing he's going to talk about is the authority of the grace of God. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? By the way, that would make sense to the first readers of the book of Romans because they did that kind of thing in the first century. Um, it, it was a slave economy back then, and uh, there were like seven different levels of slavery. The worst was chattel slavery. That's what we had in America. Uh, but somewhere in the middle there was uh, servanthood. Uh, you would be a doulos kind of slave, a household slave or a household servant sometimes. And what would happen is you, if, if you were, you know, sort of like uh, down on, 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 in, in your life and you couldn't get a job and you couldn't feed your family, you might go to somebody who was rich and say, look, I will be your doulos. I will be your household slave. All you need to do is feed me and house my family and I'll do whatever you say. It was sort of like a credit card system. You know, you go to the bank and say, I'll be your slave if you'll loan me this money. And so when Paul says, don't you know when you present yourself to somebody, you present yourself for obedience. People were doing all that all the time back then. They would go up to somebody and say, I'll be your slave. You'll be my master, if, if, you know, and we'll have this economic arrangement. Sometimes it was limited by time, but um, let's not get into a discussion of first century slavery and in, 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 in the economics of it. But, but that's what he's talking about. So he says, don't you know when you present yourself to somebody, you present yourself to obey them, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have set and been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of righteousness. And then he says, I'm speaking. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm speaking in human terms uh, because of your natural limitations. He says that this analogy is going to break down at some point. He said, but what you need to understand is when you give yourself to something, you become a servant of that thing. Is a little bit of sin okay? No, because a little bit of sin makes you a slave of sin, of that sin. Uh, try to illustrate this many, many, many years ago. In fact, David was, uh, uh, I think he was less than one year old, probably. And, uh, and he had the sniffles. Um, he had cute sniffles. All right. it, was, it was darling to watch my son sniffle as a baby. But anyway, so he had sniffles, and we wound up over at the home of one of our church members, and, uh, and David was sniffling there, and oh, wasn't it cute? And uh, uh, the, the, the father of the house, the husband, he says, well, I can tell you what will cure those sniffles. All you need is two drops of diesel fuel on a spoonful of sugar. 
I leapt across the table, not on my son. <laughs> By the way, uh, diesel fuel will clear your sinuses. <laughs> I know this because one time I spent the afternoon underneath the car trying to loosen the nut that held the, the shock absorber in place, spraying WD-40 and it coming back on my face. And so for all whole afternoon, I was ingesting WD-40, which is just diesel fuel. And I want you to know, my sinuses were clear for a month. Absolutely clear. But you're not giving it to my son. I don't care how much sugar is in that thing. I don't care if you bury it in a plate full of brownies. You're not giving diesel fuel to my son. And God says, don't give, don't give sin to my children. I don't care if you bury it in uh, you know, acceptance and sociability and 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 worldly value, I don't care what you bury it is, don't feed diesel fuel to my children because a little bit of sin is deadly and a little bit of sin makes you a slave of that sin. Well, let, let, let's quickly move on. He says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, resulting in more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to, what is the word? Sanctification. He says, you know, every time you, you reach that point and the question is, am I going to sin? And you say, no, I'm not going to sin. It's incompatible with the grace of God. The grace of God rules over me. I don't have to sin like that. Every time you do that, it's a small step forward in the process of being made holy, of being sanctified um, by the power of God's uh, grace. And let's, let's close this out. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is, you just didn't care about it. You didn't. But what fruit were you getting? It says, what happened when you didn't care about righteousness, but all you cared about was, was your own sin? What, what resulted uh, from that? Uh, you're ashamed of it now, but what happened? He said, the end of those things is death. He says, that, that's what happened. You see, you're, you're going to be the slave of something. You're going to be in bondage to something, is what Paul is saying. It's either going to be the law and sin or it's going to be grace and life. You know, I, I, I grew up in the 60s or I became, um, um, you know, I, I was a part of the 60s generation, okay. And I remember all my, uh, my, my friends, they, we came up with phrases. I think there's, do people still say, that's not my thing? Is that okay to say? No. They're telling me no. It's not, it's not okay. All right. Okay. Back in the Middle Ages, <laughs> in the 60s, the 1960s, when, when we were back there, um, but what, we would say things like, that's not my thing. I have to do my own thing. Does anybody remember that? If you don't, explain it to your children. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, I'd have to do my own thing. You know, and the idea was I'm free. I can just do whatever I want to do. And what amused me and, and amazed me, and Debbie noticed it too, everybody who was doing their own thing looked exactly like everybody else who was doing their own thing. <laughs> you know, we're, I'm, I'm going to be free. How do I do that? What, oh, I'll be like that. I'll be like that, you know. The only people, <laughs> I just thought of this, Deb. The only people who were doing their own thing without looking like everybody else were the Christian kids. That was actually it. 
They were the only ones who were not going along with the crowd. You're going to be in, a, in slavery and bondage to something, Paul says. It'll be to sin or it'll be to grace. You'll be under law or you'll be under grace. And Paul says, and when you were under law and when you were under sin and when you were obedient to sin, what did that lead to? That led to nothing but death, ultimate death. But look here at verse, uh, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to what? Sanctification. And, and I'm, I want to stop the verse right there. It says, what happens when you're under grace is God is working to make you holy, to make you like Jesus, to make you look and to, uh, like, like a vessel of God's praise. That you, that, that's what's happening, this process of belonging to God and honoring, glorifying him. That, that's what's taking place in your life. And so when you, when you come and you're under grace, that sanctification starts to work in your life and work in your life. Then he goes on. I wanted us to stop and see that under grace means sanctification. And then he says, and what's the fruit of that? The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, word there is telos, I mean, and its goal, which is eternal life. You see, the pattern that Paul sets out here, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come to live under grace, and that grace drives to you to a life of holiness and a life that reflects who the Father is, a life of obeying him, not from external rules, but from an inner, inner relationship and an inner love for him. And that's what's called sanctification. And he says, in that whole process then, God is bringing you to what he promised in the first place, and that is eternal life. But the the picture, the normal picture is you're saved and you live life in sanctification, in holiness, and then you arrive at the eternal life. It's all together. Got that? It's not that you're earning the eternal life by by mastering the seven steps or the 32 degrees of holiness. What, What happens is you arrive at eternal life because God brought you through a life of sanctification. Now we can get to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, There's a couple of reasons why people don't understand this verse. First, some people don't understand this verse because they don't believe there's anything called sin. They don't believe there really is a way to violate God's will for your life. They don't really think that it matters how you live. And they certainly don't believe that the wages of sin is death. What most people think is that whenever anybody dies, they just go to a better place with all their friends where they have a picnic and drink margaritas. I bring that up because I heard somebody say that at a funeral. Well, here's old, old so-and-so, and well, we just know he's in a better place, and he's up there drinking margaritas. <laughs> no! <laughs> there is a consequence to how we live. There is an eternal judgment. There is eternal damnation, and there's eternal life. And the life of sin is headed towards damnation, and the life of holiness is leading towards eternal life. Now, we don't earn our way to eternal life. Again, God brings us there through the process of sanctification. It's because he's taking us there that his grace rules over us. And so Paul says we're not under law, we're under grace. 
See, that verse is, is all about sanctification. Romans 6, 23 is about sanctification uh, more than anything else. So we are under law. Uh, under law. We're under grace. We live under grace. And that's why Jesus could say the things he said. You ever, ever look at uh, how much of what Jesus said looks like law? I mean, it, 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 sometimes it, it looks an awful lot like law. So somebody wants your coat, give them your, your shirt, give them your coat. So somebody hits you on one side, hit, turn the other cheek. Somebody makes you go one mile, go a second mile. That sounds a lot like law until you realize it's infused with the grace of God. Why can we go the extra mile? Why can't we give up the cloak as well as the shirt? Why? Why can't we turn the other cheek? Because we know the grace of God that is bigger than the injustice inflicted on us in the first place. And because we're under grace, we can actually do silly things like give away all our possessions and come follow Jesus. See, whatever looks like law in the Gospels is actually there because of grace. It says this is what under grace looks like in your life. Very quickly then, what I'd like to challenge you to do Sometime this week, just at some point, just stop and, and think about something going on in your life and say, what does the grace of God ask me to do in this situation? Not what does the law require, not what does religion require, not what does some hellfire brimstone preacher require, and not what some dispenser of joy preacher requires. What does the grace of God in Christ Jesus require of my life? What is the grace of God asking me to do? Because I'm living under grace and not under law. And I think when you do that, you'll come to see the things that God's leading you to do and the, and the, the steps that he's, he's asking you to take. You'll see that each one is built and designed for your good and your welfare to bring you closer and closer and closer to Jesus because we live under grace. Let's pray together. And Father, I'm just so thankful that everything you've asked us to do, you have given us the power to do by the Holy Spirit. And Father, that when you have called us to live under grace, you have given us the grace that we might be obedient. Father, I'm so thankful. And so I, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the folks in this room, that each one would have a sense of your movement and leadership and guidance. And then, Father, that you would give that courage that comes by faith to step out in obedience, to do and to be what you would have us do and be. Father, for your glory, let your Holy Spirit descend upon us. Give us lives of holiness under your grace. In Jesus' name, 